Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We are so glad you've joined us today. If you have been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Amen. I don't want to take up any more time uh, speaking because we have TJ with us, and he's uh, been to our church before it looked the way it does. So this was his first experience with his wife walking into the building. And uh, can we give TJ, though he's been here before, can we give him a warm Weston welcome as he comes to bring the word to us today? And uh, we're blessed by your ministry, and we thank you for coming, bro. Why don't you give Jesus an even bigger round of applause for everything he's done for you? He's the reason why we're here. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. I'm happy to be back here. Like, like he said, last time I was here, everything was like red and wood and everything, every other color. Now we're, we're caught up with the times. Praise God. It's a beautiful place, a beautiful five-star facility. You know, many churches are closing down around Canada, but this one's building up. And that's, that's a sign of, you know, of God's favor and blessing. Because you know what the Bible says in Psalms? It says that those who do not consider the work of my hands, which what's the work of God's hands? Soul winning. Winning the loss at any cost. Those who don't consider the work of my hands, I'll, I'll break them down. I won't build them up. But then on the flip side, it says, anyone that gets behind my agenda, anyone that puts my purpose, my kingdom advancement agenda as their agenda, the Bible says, I will build that church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is just the beginning of what's going to happen here. And, and I, I foresee, you know, we've been, we were talking in the back room. There's something brewing. There's something that's stirring up. There's a wind that's starting to pick up the sails here. And uh, you can feel it even from the last time I was here to now, just walking in the building. There's a momentum. And I encourage you, like, you know, like a hamster. If a hamster stops running while he's built it up, he'll get flipped right off that roll. But if you keep on running and don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due time you will reap a harvest if you don't quit and give up. Can you say Amen. I'm happy that we started off with communion this morning because what I'm going to speak on today is what is in the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of people, they take communion as if it's just some, you know, rabbit's tail. You know, oh, what's today? Oh, we're doing communion. Ah, again, that's like that little interruption before the service starts. But that's not what communion was given for. The Bible says, actually, let's turn there. 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took of the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Say, new covenant. In my blood. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now skip on over to the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 9. For those of you who don't know where Zechariah is, just use the table of contents. But he's closer to Malachi than he is to Genesis. Zechariah chapter 9. 
And starting from verse 11. When you're there, say amen. amen. As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant. Say blood covenant. Because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return ye to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today do I declare that I will restore double back to you. I'll read that one more. As for you, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free. Verse 12. Return ye to the stronghold of the blood. You prisoners of hope, for today I declare unto you, not tomorrow, today, I will restore double back to you. I started off by saying a lot of people treat the blood of Jesus Christ and the communion table as some religious ritual. As if it's something, you know, we just do as a, as a sign of tradition. We've done it for many years, so let's just keep it on. But the, the miracle meal, which that's what it really is, eating of that, that bread and drinking of that blood, was not given to the church to waste time on a Sunday morning. You know, every second Tuesday of the month, we're going to have, we're gonna have the, uh, the communion. You know, we have it every month. We have it every six months. It's not about, you know, just scheduling something in, in, in the church agenda. It's not some program that we follow. Jesus didn't, like you said, you know, Jesus didn't go to the cross to, build, to just, you know, build a building. He came to build a church. Well, the same thing goes with the miracle meal. It wasn't given to waste time in church. That meal that Jesus, which he said, I have zealously desired to have this meal with you. Why? Because it's a meal that changes the destiny of every child of God when there's an understanding of what that meal means. You know, the Bible says, because of a lack of understanding, my people go into, into, ex, uh, into exile. The Bible says my people are destroyed because they have no knowledge. It's not enough to just know that we do something. Why do we do what we do? What's in it for me? Why do we do it? That's, it's a very important thing, which in, North, you know, in Western culture, we kind of just we throw it away. But there are groups of churches around the world where they spend time, whole months talking about what's in the miracle meal, what's in the name of Jesus. Why? Because just using the blood of Jesus, you know, a lot of people, I plead the blood, I plead the blood. That's not, and they say it like it's some you know, rabbit's tail or some four-leaf clover. But that's not what the blood of Jesus was, meant, was given for us to do. The Bible says that the blood was spilled. To make a new covenant in his blood. Now, there's not much mention of covenant in, in North America. Because most, most people don't understand what a covenant means. But a covenant is actually, it's a, it's a contract between two parties. In simple terms. A covenant is a contract between two parties. Now, there's a story of this man named Stanley. When he was going, to, he went to Africa. This was like in the early 1800s. Whenever David Livingstone was alive. 1800s. He had gone to Africa to seek for David Livingstone, who was a missionary to Africa. This man had just gotten into the, the African territory. When he was there, he set up shop. He had a market because he, had, he knew he was going to be there for months on months. So he had to set up some sort of business to su support himself because it was back in the day. It's not like they had, you know, e-transfers and you can wire money to him over. <laughs> you know, it was, he, he had to support himself. So he set up shop. And had goats, had all kinds of, you know, fruits, vegetables. He was just selling things. But because the people of that land knew that he was some foreigner. And, you know, they, they saw the white man as some rich guy. So they ended up just going and, and pillaging. They, they would take from him. They'd steal from him. They'd, they'd, they'd take whatever they could at any time they could. 
And so he finally realized, man, I'm never going to survive this way. He went up to, the, to, to one of the, the guys he knew that was also an Englishman from, 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 I think, Scotland. But he spoke English. And he said, I don't know what to do. At this rate, there's no way I'm going to survive. And the guy said, why don't you make a covenant with the chief? He said, what's that? He said, you just have to go do some ceremony, and once it's done, you'll have a little more protection. So he, he brought his representative who knew how to speak the language and the dialect of the, of the tribe. And then the chief came and brought his representative who knew how to speak English. When they got, came together, the chief took a knife and he cut his hand open and spilled some blood into a cup that was mingled with wine. Then the, the Englishman, Mr. Stanley, he had to do the same. So he cut a little piece of his skin and, and dripped some blood inside of a, a, like, a, like a cup that was mingled with wine. And then one of them drank it, and the other one drank it. After that, they had to bring what their most prized possession was that they owned. So as for this guy, Mr. Stanley, his most prized possession was a goat that he had. He had a, a little goat because he had ulcers in his stomach. And so he brought a goat that he'd milked the goat, and it was the only thing that would soothe the ulcers in his stomach because he had a burning pain. So he would take the milk and, and drink it. So that was his most prized possession. Without that, he's like, you know, how am I... Whenever the burning sensation comes back, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but, you know, that's, that's my most prized possession. So the, the chief brought his staff that was like a spear, and it had barbed wire all across the spear, and he gave him that. Finally, Mr. Stanley's like, what the heck am I going to do with that stupid spear? <laughs> when my stomach starts burning, a spear is not going to help me. I need, I need goat's milk, but he's... he's he didn't know what he was actually receiving in return. He thought he was just getting some wooden rod so he could put it up as a decoration in his tent. But in reality, he didn't know this. But the chief was one of the most, he was the most renowned chief in all of Africa. That he had more power than any other chief in all Africa. That when at just the mention of that chief's name, anyone who dared touch anything that was in, anyone that was in covenant with that chief, they, they were ripped with fear. They, they knew if that guy belongs to that chief, we don't touch that guy. So when he received that wooden stick, it was actually like his, his signature. It was his stamp of approval. It was his stamp of favor. It was a, a sign to those that would try to trouble that Mr. Stanley that I'm in covenant with the chief. And as a result, all of the chief's resources are now my resources. All of the chief's power is now my power. And anyone who dares touch me would actually have to suffer the wrath of this chief. Now, the devil always tries to counterfeit the authentic things that God has. The devil will always try and counterfeit and try to fake or try and, you know, twist and pervert the, act, the, the truth of what God has to offer. That covenant that they made was actually a type of what Jesus did at the cross. That when his blood was spilled, and it spilled into that cup that we just drank from. That when we drank of that cup, we actually enter into a blood covenant with Jesus Christ. That as a result of that covenant, all of the resources of heaven, everything that God owns, everything that Jesus has, all the power he has, the power of his name is now at our disposal. That any devil that would try to afflict me, that would try to afflict you, that would try to make life miserable for you, God will then... Make life miserable for that thing. Can you say amen? Can you say a better amen? That's what, that's what the blood covenant is. Now how strong is a blood covenant? Well, the blood is only as strong as the covenant. How strong is God's covenant? 
Jeremiah 33, 3, or 33, uh, 6, sorry. The Bible says that if my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night can be broken, so then can my covenant with you and your descendants be broken. If my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night can be broken, so then will my covenant with you be broken. That means as long as there's night and day, as you know, Genesis 6, as long as there's seed time and harvest, as long as there's winter and summer, as long as there's springtime and, and, and fall time, my covenant remains in place and cannot be broken. God's covenant is as strong as God's faithfulness. How faithful is God? The Bible says, even when we are faithless, he abideth faithful. He's the most, the Bible says, he's, his faithfulness endures forever. How faithful is God? How strong is his covenant? As strong as God is, that's how strong his covenant is. You know, the Bible says that the Lord your God, he changes not. He's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. When he speaks a thing, he brings it to pass. When he declares a thing, he makes good on it. How strong is God's covenant? As strong as God's integrity is. And God has integrity. He, the Bible says he's not a man that he should lie. He's not like, you might have had parents that lied to you. You might have had close friends that may, might have like messed you up. You might have had people that you trusted, but they, you know, they misled you and you no longer trust them anymore because they did something to you 13 years ago. But let me tell you, my God is too faithful to fail. The Bible says his truth endures forever. That though the grass withers away and the flower fades the word of the Lord endures forever that the Bible says heaven and earth can pass away but my covenant that I make with you it can never pass away how strong is God's covenant that's what matters I mean you can make a covenant with someone but if they're you know some con artist it doesn't matter how, how what terms are in back of the covenant he'll never fulfill his terms what is in the blood what is in the covenant of the blood of Jesus Christ number one so we, we, we covered the covenant, the covenant part, which is pretty much the word of God, the faithfulness of the word. But what's in the blood? Why do we drink of that blood? Five things that come to you as a result of entering into a blood covenant with God. Like I said, you know, that little Mr. Stanley guy, he didn't know what he was actually receiving. Unless you know what you're receiving when you drink of that blood, it's an empty meal. It's an empty meal. The Bible says it's not good for a soul to be without knowledge. It's not good to just do things, you know. What happened to the seven sons of Sceva when they tried to use the name of Jesus? We, we, we implore you by the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Come out of him. The demon looked at them and said, who the heck? Paul I know. Jesus I know. Who the heck are you? And the Bible says they beat that little boy. They beat them all up so that they left the house wounded and naked. You'll live a very frustrated life if you treat, you know, the Bible says. How shall we escape? Or how much worse of a punishment shall we endure if we treat the blood of his covenant as a common thing? You will continue in the frustrations of life until you realize what you do when you drink of that blood, what it means for me. What happens, in the, not, in, not only in the spiritual realm. You know, Christianity is not just a spiritual thing. It's not just something that happens in the heavenlies as some ethereal, ethereal like, you know, mystical thing. That's how a lot of people treat the Bible. Well, ultimately, I'm blessed in, with every spiritual blessing, but that doesn't mean they'll manifest in the, in the tangible. That's not true. Spiritual things always manifest in very real ways. 
Abraham, when he got blessed by the Lord, Abraham, depart from your country, and I'll bless you in the land which you're going. I'll bless you and make you a great nation, and so you shall be a blessing. And Abraham departed, and actually God was just meeting spiritual blessings, and he was dirt poor like Job's turkey and had nothing going for him. No, the Bible says the very next chapter, Abraham was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. Everybody say this, the blessing of God is real. Deuteronomy 28, the Bible says, if you'll diligently hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God, he'll set you high above all the nations of the earth. There is profit in serving God. There is an absolute benefit, not to God. It benefits me to be all in in the covenant of God. That's why the Bible says, godliness is profitable unto all things. Say all things. Godliness profits me in everything. Uh, brother, I'm just blessed. You know, nothing's working out, but amen, in the end it'll all work. No. Things are not meant to just work out for you in heaven. Pastor John said it before. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is too anxious for you to wait to heaven to experience his blessing. He wants you now in 2019 and onward till the rapture happens or God takes you home to taste and see that the Lord is good and that his blessing endures forevermore. If you believe that for you in your house, give Jesus a clap hat and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Come on, let him hear that you're interested in that blessing today. Deuteronomy 28 if you'll hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord your God he'll set you high above all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you that's what happens when you enter into covenant what other people are chasing after they begin to chase after you when you're in covenant with God, you don't have to strive and sweat through life. The Bible says, now th thanks be unto God who leads us to triumph when you're in covenant with Christ Jesus. When everyone else is sweating, trying to obtain, they're easily being apprehended by you and your family. What? That's what happened to Abraham. Look at Isaac, a covenant child of Abraham. The Bible says when everyone else was in a famine, everyone else was sowing seed and their seed didn't work because the, the, there was no rain. There was a drought in the land. Nothing was growing. Nothing was being cultivated. But then Isaac, on the same ground, not a different ground, the same ground that everyone else was frustrated because nothing was working. Isaac was sowing, and in the same year, didn't reap a little bit so he and his family can survive. No. The, he reaped in the same year a hundredfold blessing back in return. Why? Because like Naaman, when you realize that whom God has blessed, nothing can curse. When you understand that the blessing of God belongs to me, nothing can take me out. Nothing can hinder my progress. I'm going to press towards the goal and I'm going to obtain the prize of being a covenant child of the Most High God. If you believe that, shout amen one more time. What is in the blood? Number one, forgiveness is in the blood. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. The Bible says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, which means if you say that you're in covenant with God but you don't walk holy, you're a liar and you don't practice the truth. That's why you, you can deceive people but you can't deceive God. You can serve God and it appears like, like Saul. He, it appeared that he was serving God, but his heart was not after God's heart. 
But David, why did things not work for Saul and things work for David? David was all in, spirit, soul, and body. Saul, he appeared to look like, he, he was interested in what, what it looked like to other people. I'm not interested in what it looks like to other people. I'm interested in what God sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks right at the heart. It's not just, you know, I come to church. That's covenant with God. No. Covenant with God is much more than just coming to church. That's a part of the covenant. Much more. It's how do I live Monday through Saturday? How am I walking Monday through Saturday? The Bible says if you walk in darkness, you're a liar. <laughs> it's not my words. Those were the choice words of the Holy Spirit. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. What does the blood do? It cleanses me from all sin. What does that mean? It means that whatever I've done up until this point, you might be here today and it feels like you're like the worst sinner in all of Toronto. That's okay. I'm your best friend then this morning. Because it doesn't matter how bad of a sinner you are. If today you and you give your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says when you enter into fellowship with him, he cleanses you from all sin. Everybody say all sin. Doesn't matter what you've done. I've had people come up to me in my travels. Preacher, you don't know how far I've got. You don't know what I've done. I've had four abortions. I, it doesn't matter how bad you've been. You know, Paul was a vehement, violent persecutor of the church of God. He was someone who literally made it his life's mission to kill Christians. And yet when God said, it's time to get that man saved. It didn't matter what his past looked like. Paul even said, I forget those things which are behind and I press towards the things of God. I don't dwell on my past. That's another thing people don't understand is that the blood of Jesus Christ doesn't, it's not, now get this, understand this. The blood of Jesus does not cover your sin. That's not true. The blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin. That's much better than just having a covering. You know, that's like the doctrine that's crept into the North American church, is that it's just a covering for sin. That we can live the same way we always live, but God's grace will cover our sin. God's grace doesn't cover sin. God's grace actually gives you an ability to go and sin no more and cleanses you by ripping out that desire to sin from you once and for all. Can you say amen? amen. That's much better than having a covering for sin. That's, I don't have to sin. I should say that this morning. I don't have to sin. Well, ultimately, we struggle in many ways. But, you know, one day we'll be ridden of this sinful nature. That sinful nature got ripped out of my body a lot, seven years ago when I hooked up with Jesus. It's not like I got saved, but I still have, you know, I still smoke pot on the side and I'm addicted. But, you know, eventually one day I'll, no. That's what religion wants to teach you. That you can't break out of those bad habits. That you have to be stuck until we get to heaven. But I'm not interested in religion this morning. I'm interested in what that Bible says I can have. And that Bible says, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation, not a new Christian. Not a, it, the gospel is not a gospel of renovation. The gospel is a gospel of liberation where you can be set free. And whom the Son sets free is free and totally free indeed the bible says that god actually blots your sin out he blots it out he, he buries it in the sea of forgetfulness never to be remembered again if god doesn't remember your sin why do you keep bringing it up oh preacher you don't know what i've it doesn't matter what you've done god's not you know anytime you feel that sense of accusation well, I'm interested. You know, you might be a Christian 10 years, but you're still bound by those condemning thoughts. 
oh, yeah, I, you know, I'd love to have what you have, but, you know, my past doesn't permit. It doesn't, Paul was a killer. And yet when he gave his life to the Lord, everything turned around. Not some things changed, but ultimately there were, if you've done drugs to the point where your brains are like mushrooms, like I did. My brain was like messed up, man, mushed up. But when God put his spirit on the inside of me, the Bible says the same spirit which raised Jesus from the dead, when he comes to live on the inside of you, he actually quickens your mortal body so that whatever penalty and curse that sin took, the, the course of sin, you know, sin is pleasurable for a moment, but in the end, it kills. It corrodes your body. It corrodes your, your, your flesh. It corrodes your soul. It corrodes. It's like, it's like acid. It gets in and it starts burning things up. But it doesn't matter how detrimental the effect of sin was on your life. Today, as you come to Jesus Christ, every past thing, every curse, every penalty, everything sin did in your life, God's going to reverse it today in the name of Jesus Christ. As that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead comes on the inside of you, it quickens your body, it'll quicken your bones, it'll quicken your brain. You'll start to outthink people instead of people looking at you and saying, that's just a dumb kid. That's what happened to me, man. When I was a pothead, people looked at me as some idiot. I couldn't resolve, I couldn't think straight. I had a, I was distracted like there was no tomorrow. I had a little bumblebee pass by. Whoa. And that goes on another step. You might have OCD. You might have ADHD. You might have anxiety disorders. But you know what Jesus does? Jesus isn't just He's not in just concerned with your spirit making it to heaven. He actually wants to make your life on earth a breeze. Take my yoke upon you, for it is easy. You know, serving God's not always easy. It's been the, you know what was hard for me? When I was serving the devil. That's when things were hard for me. When I was, you know, hooked to, to, to drugs. When I was in the clubs. When I was a, a, an alcohol abuser. That's when things were hard for me. But the moment I linked hands with Jesus Christ he's the prince of peace he gave me peace like no other he gave me joy like no other he healed my body he touched my mind he saved me just in time and God doesn't show favorites the Bible says in every nation if you'll just call on that name he will save you he'll answer you and show you great and mighty things which you know not if you believe you're entering into that today shout hallelujah Shout a better hallelujah. hallelujah. Amen. Number one, forgiveness of sins for times, for, for the sake of time. Number two, redemption in the blood. What does it mean to be redeemed by his blood? Just to be forgiven is, is nice. To have his sins, to, to have your sins cleanse, be cleansed away. That sinful nature ripped out of you so that now you don't have to sin. That's all great. But much more than that, the Bible says in Ephesians 1, we've been redeemed by his blood. And forgiven by the riches of his grace. 1 Peter 1.18. Knowing that you are not redeemed by perishable items such as silver or gold. God didn't, pay, God didn't pay off the devil to get you back. You know when Adam sinned, he forfeited. We, when Adam sinned, he forfeited and we forfeited. The garden, we forfeited God's best. We forfeited the keys. You know, we were given dominion over the earth. But when Adam sinned, we lost that dominion. That dominion was stripped from us. And as a result, Satan gained dominion over every single human on planet earth. But when Jesus Christ died on that cross, and not just died, went to that tomb. You know, I find it interesting that he didn't, 
He didn't buy a tomb. He rented a tomb. He's a good Jewish man. He knows how to do business. You don't buy a tomb when you know you're only going to be there for three days. You rent it. You get a seven-day rental. That's even possible. Could you imagine that, that interaction? Hi, I'd like to rent your tomb today. Sir, we don't rent tombs. No, trust me. You'll, you'll, need, you'll get it back in a couple of days. I just need it for this, these next three days. Jesus rented a tomb. Why? Because he knew he wasn't going to stay there. Because the Bible says that three days later, and we'll get into that Sunday. But, you know, we don't go through Good Friday with a weeping spirit. You know, he's dead today. Oh, it's a, it's, we already know. Spoiler alert, he rises. We already know. We, we read, you know, my wife, I can't stand this, but my wife, whenever we go and watch a movie, she loves to know what's going to happen. She loves to look up the spoilers and all that stuff. I, I, I don't do that. I like to know what happened. I like to know what happens when I'm watching the movie. But look, we, we already spoiled it for you. The Bible says Sunday morning, rising early in the morning, Mary and Mary came to that tomb. And when they got to the tomb, they looked in to that little circular area and they saw nobody there, just some clothes folded. Imagine that, Jesus before leaving, he's a neat guy. Let's just fold this. Don't want anyone to think I'm a mess. Folded his clothes. And then the Bible says when they, when they saw the, the clothes folded, that two men dressed in white stood by them and said, Hey, Mary and Mary, why are you seeking the living amongst the dead? This Jesus, behold, he's not there. He has risen. Come and see the place where he lay. That's the good news. Is that three days later, he resurrected. That's why John on the island of Patmos didn't see some depleted, you know, some depleted, beat down, still recovering from the blows of type of Jesus. The Bible says when he looked behind him and saw the one who spoke to him, he saw a man whose eyes were like a flame of fire. He saw one whose hair was white like wool, whose, sun, whose face was like the sun shining in its brilliance. The Bible says his voice was like the sound of many waters. Jesus isn't some guy in a manger or some guy in, you know, he's not a, a lamb anymore. He was the lamb that was slain, but now he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's why the angel told John, weep not, weep not, weep not, for the Bible says the lion of the tribe of Judah, of the root of David, he has prevailed he has overcome and when you come to him you join the camp of overcomers and greater is he that lives in you than anything that would come against you can you say amen say i'm an overcomer that's what redemption means he bought you back he purchased you back adam forfeited it but jesus said now i hold the keys of death hell and the grave the devil doesn't get to decide when you die the devil doesn't get to decide when you get sick. The devil doesn't get to decide when you, when, when, when you give up. You linking up with Jesus. The Bible says, with long life, I'll satisfy you. You come under his health plan. You come under his protection plan. You come under his prosperity plan. You, for, you know, this is what redemption means. Romans 8. The Bible says you, were, you, you don't have a, the spirit of this world to fear. Or the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you now have the spirit of adoption in you. By whom we can now cry out, Abba, Father. Being redeemed into the family of God. We were purchased back into his family. We were adopted back into his family. What does it mean to be adopted? Well, it's funny that Paul writes to the Romans and tells them that they're adopted. Because Roman law of adoption was the most severe laws in all, in all the earth at that time. To be adopted in Roman law. You have to provide seven witnesses who would come with you. And they would, they would verify 
what you were, you know, what you were signing and, and the statements coming out of your mouth. And you have to state these two things. Number one, anything and a, any debt, anything they had, any resource, anything that child held from his previous family no longer belongs to him. No longer belongs to him. The inheritance of his former family no longer belongs to him. The power, the name, the reputation of his former family no longer belongs to him. Any debt that that former family had no longer belongs to him. He had to sign that and he had to verbally state it. I, I agree. And seven witnesses had to be there. We actually adopted many of those laws into our very laws of adoption today. Number two, I now take full responsibility over this child. And all my inheritance now becomes his inheritance. All my resources now becomes his resources. My name and my reputation is now given for him to use. My ability becomes his ability. I'm now his father. He's lost it. He's been transferred out of that family into my family. You know, that's what the Bible says in Colossians 1. That we were actually translated out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. We were transferred. We've been adopted into the family of God. That now God's resources are now my resources. God's power is now my power. God's name, that name of Jesus that we sang about today. That name of Jesus now becomes my, I'm a rightful heir to use that name. And the Bible says in Philippians 2 that it's a name that's been given to Jesus that's higher than any other name. That at just a mention of the name of Jesus Christ, every knee on heaven, every knee on earth, every knee in hell has to bow to the authority of that name you've been given that name by the blood of the covenant you know it's funny how it says just the mention of that name gets people gets the devil about you know what that shows you shows you he never recovered from that death blow he received at calvary you know if i if you were a kid and you had this big bully that would come and hit you up and beat you up and throw you into a locker lock you up you know pants you wherever you were at you you would learn to hate that kid You'd learn to, to really, any time that kid was around, you'd, you'd be the other way. He's walking that way, I'm walking this way. Then 25 years from now, you have your high school reunion or something. And then you realize, well, I'm excited to go. I love these reunions. I want to I know what everyone else is doing. But then you realize that little buddy over there is going to be there. Let's say his name was Tom. Tom the bully. Well, Tom's going to be there too. Tom's going to be there. I don't care if they're giving out free airplanes. I'm not going. Just a mention of Tom's name. Got him to go the other way. You understand that that's the same effect when you use that name? That precious, powerful, bold declaration of the name of Jesus gives the devil, it reminds him of his defeat at Calvary. Because the Bible says in Colossians that he has disarmed principalities and powers. He publicly, publicly, everybody say publicly. It wasn't something done in closed corners. No, the Bible says he publicly humiliated him in all the kingdom of hell. His own demons don't even have respect for him anymore. Why? Because when Jesus died, those three days, why did he stay three days in, in, in death? Because he was down in hell, beating the devil's skull back into its place. Because the Bible says when Adam sinned, God told Adam, God told the serpent, the devil, you have bruised man's heel. But one will come from his loins who will crush your head. And that's exactly what Jesus did. If you, when we see the devil one day, Isaiah 14 says this. We're actually going to walk by him and look at him and say, is this the dummy 
This is what he looked like? This is what made my family a living hell? This is what gave me depression? This is what caused anxiety? This is what made cities look like a wilderness? This is the one that made a desolate land of a prosperous nation? Is this the one? Why? Because we're going to see his skull cracked and his brain still spilt out. The devil is a liar. The only thing he can get you to do to stay depressed, to stay bound, is to make you believe that he still has power. But the Bible says he's like a roaring lion. He ain't a roaring lion. We have the roaring lion of the tribe of Judah and because he overcame you too can overcome today if you're excited about that why don't you shout hallelujah redeemed by his blood I'll tell this story and then I'm going to close because I want you back on Sunday there was a, a little boy in the early 1900s and he, was, uh, he wasn't very wealthy his family was poor. His father was a drunk. But he went to this school that was a notorious, a notorious school because they had a group of about 30 people, 30 students. But they were notorious for chasing their teachers out. They were so loud and rambunctious and rebellious that they would chase out their teachers. Nobody could, they, they wouldn't keep a teacher for more than three months because there were three little, three guys in that school that were like the most rebellious kids, and they chased them out. So finally this new teacher came, and she, was, she, she had already said in her mind, I'm going to implement laws, the most strictest of laws, that if anyone does something mildly bad, they'll get one rod, swipe on their back. If anyone does something pretty bad, they'll get a few rods. If someone does something really bad, they'll get vicious whips on their back. And that'll, put, that'll strike fear in them. So that's exactly what it did. Those three boys became saints. They could have enlisted as priests in that day. They were like the, the most holy, you know, posture up. Finally, this little kid who wasn't part of the three boys, the poor kid I talked about earlier, he, because his family wasn't able to provide, he was so hungry one day, he saw someone's lunchbox there, and he went and stole the lunchbox because he was hungry. His family didn't have food. I, who knows? He might have not have been able to eat for two days. He finally said, no, finally I got to eat. You know, if I don't eat, whatever the penalty is, it won't be more severe than dying. So he went and took the, the meal. Then the, it was actually one of the meals of one of those three bullies. And so the guy got up and said, hey, who took my meal? Who stole my lunchbox? They reported it to the teacher. She set them all up and said, who's the one that stole his, his lunchbox? And the little kid, trembling, because he knew it was, you know, he was an honest kid. He just stole because he was hungry. So he came forth and said, look, I was starving. I needed to eat. You did this? Well, you know the law states what we have to do. And this is classified as one of the most severe things. Stealing is one of the, you're going to get a lot of rods on your backs. Get your shirt off. Let's get it done. We, you know, there's no exceptions. So he's there with his shirt off. When he took his shirt off, they all saw they, he was already bleeding from the night before. He had wounds on his back because his father was a drunk and would beat him every night. So he was already beat down. He was already like one rod away from dying. So when the, the kid whose lunch was stolen saw that, he, something gripped his heart. Compassion gripped his heart and said, I can't let that kid. If he receives one more lash, he'll, he'll faint and die. So he stepped up and said, hey, because the teacher said there's no exceptions. Even she was like, you know, I don't know if I should do this, but if I, if I let this one slide, anyone else is going to, you know, usurp my authority. So he, the kid finally steps up and says, I know what he did is wrong, but it was my lunch that he stole. Let me take the rods. 
So he, the teacher said, well, as long as someone gets it. He ended up getting whipped on his back. When he was done, the little kid ran up to the big bully and said, thank you so much. If I would have gotten one more whip, I don't know if I would have, I don't know if I would have lived. I already get beat every night. Thank you so much for doing this for me. You know what that was? That was exactly what happened in the substitutionary work of Christ. When we were redeemed by his blood, when he took those stripes on his back, that was for our physical healing. We should have been the ones on that cross. We should have been the one on that tree. We should have been the ones taking those stripes on, on our back. But Jesus said, from heaven, when the, when the Father was about to pour out his wrath, he said, no, let me go. Let me take it. Just like that bully did. That what we should have went through, and should be going through. Jesus already absorbed it all at that cross. That's why the Bible says that Christ has redeemed us from all the curse of the law. That the blood that was shed when he was taking those lashes on his back as they dripped down his body. And you know the Roman way of whipping. It wasn't some like nice little whip. It was a whip that was the, 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 the prongs were actually curbed to, and designed to grab onto to flesh and muscle tissue and rip back. So when his blood was being spilt out, it was for, our, you know, why did he even go to the whipping post? You think it's because he had an itchy back and he had to get something, you know, why did he go to the itching, the, the itching post? Why did he go to the whipping post? You think it's because he had nothing else to do that day? No. Because Isaiah had already prophesied that he would by the piercings in his hand deal with our sin problem and then through the whippings on his back deal with our sickness problem. Can you say amen? So to say, well, you know, ultimately we're not promised healing in this life. That's actually lowering the effect of the cross and what Jesus did. Well, it's not about physical healing. Then why did Jesus take 39 lashes on his back to pay for our physical healing if it wasn't for our physical healing? That's why they call us full gospel preachers. We don't preach half a gospel. That's why you see half gospel preachers, you know, they're like, uh, when life throws you lemons, you just got to squeeze it and make lemonade. And they live frustrated, depleted of strength lives. But I know that what Jesus did for me, the Bible says God didn't spare his only son, but he delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him freely give us all things richly to enjoy? You are leaving this place healed in Jesus' name. You are leaving this place restored in Jesus' name. The last sickness you ever saw will be the last sickness you ever get to see. As that power comes on the inside of you like a bulldozer, it clears out every form of sickness because you've been redeemed by his blood. Therefore, let the redeemed of the Lord say something. Say, I am redeemed. That's more powerful to you now. I am redeemed. The devil no longer has authority or power to harass me or my family. As for me and my house, we enter into a covenant with the Lord. What happened in Egypt? Number three, and I'll finish with this. The blood gives you a protective barrier over every satanic affliction and ordeal. What happened in Egypt? When they were told that a death, a destroyer was going to come on the land and kill the firstborn of everyone that was in Egypt. But God gave prophetic instructions to Moses. Which if Israel didn't follow, if they counted the, the Passover blood, the lamb's blood, as some common thing. What, you're telling me I have to actually kill a lamb 
take its blood and put it on my door? Are you crazy? Do you know I just got these doors installed? Do you know how nice these are? That's solid oak, my brother. If they would have talked like that, they would have had their firstborn child killed. Because God is no respecter of persons, but he respects faith and obedience. They would have said, well, what is it to us? I mean, do we really have to do That's kind of foolish. What is put, me putting blood on my door going to do anything? But God gave prophetic instructions to Moses. Take a lamb, slaughter it, spill its blood in a basin. Then take hyssop branches, dip it in there, and put it on the doorposts and on the lintels. And it shall come to pass that when the destroyer comes in the land, that when it sees the blood, it'll see it as a sign of my protection, and it will pass over you. Amen. Say Passover. What's today? It's Passover. What do you think that means? It's actually a declaration that the devil can't touch me or my family, but has to pass over, has to turn Passover. Can you say amen? amen. That when we apply the blood, now get this. If, imagine if the blood of a natural lamb had power to do that. If the blood of a natural lamb, which if you read any theological study book, Presbyterian, Catholic, they all understand that that lamb was a type of Christ who was going to be slaughtered for the sins of all. And if the blood of a natural lamb had power to thwart off the death angel so that they couldn't touch anybody in anyone's house that had the blood on the marking post, how much more do you suppose that the blood of the eternal lamb of God that was without spot and without blemish be able to overwhelmingly protect you, your household, your business, your children, everything that pertains to you? That's why I started off with 1 Peter 1.18. Christ has not, we've been redeemed not by perishable items such as silver and gold, but we've been redeemed by the precious blood of a lamb without spot or wrinkle. Can you say amen? amen? That's why the next time the devil comes knocking, you can just show him, hey, didn't you see the blood? Didn't you see the protective covenant I'm in? That just like that Mr. Stanley story I told before, that because he had the rod of authority from that chief, any, va any vagabond, any type of bandit, any thief that would try to steal his things would actually have to incur the wrath of that chief himself. The blood is not only a blood of victory. The blood of the covenant is a blood of vengeance. That any devil that would seek to make your life miserable, that would seek to afflict you with sickness, any devil that would try to encamp around you and keep you oppressed and bound, the Bible says, arise, O God of vengeance. Arise, O God of vengeance, and render vengeance upon the wicked. That when they see, it's like when you have a nice, when you have a child. I have a baby on the way in July. If when that baby comes out, if anyone tries to touch that kid in a, in a bad way, they'll incur my wrath. It's the same thing. When you try and touch a child of God, you incur the wrath of their father. And God is the great king who formed all things. The Bible says, who can bring a charge against God's elect? If God be for us, who can be against us? You are leaving this place a victor, protected, redeemed, forgiven, and sealed by the blood of that lamb. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life, and we want to hear it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westonroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.